This is Unfilter, episode 295 for March 25th, 2020. Good evening, everyone. Americans getting mixed messages tonight at a time we can ill afford it. COVID cases are exploding, doubling every few days in some communities in this country. Now with calls at the state level growing louder and more insistent for Americans to isolate, President Trump focused on boosting the economy is talking about ways to get back to business soon putting him on a potential collision course with public health experts who say this is no time to lower our guard. Welcome to Unfilter, your Corona-cracking cast. My name is Chris. This is episode 295, and yes, it's true. The show's back. Five episodes. We started at 291. 292, I thought, okay, I can do this. 293, I was in a groove, and by 294, I was all in. (laughs) It's kind of true, actually. I've been thinking to myself, what's the next steps? So behind the scenes, we're doing things like spinning up an LLC. That's happened we're doing things like ensuring our hosting is in place. Uh, here's a funny one that was just ironically going to bite us in the butt that thankfully I caught. Our domain name was about to expire. <laughs> I, guess, I guess nobody was checking on the old uh, unfiltered.show domain for a retired show. But thankfully, I thought, you know, now the show's back. I should probably look at that. So indeed, I renewed it. So I'm in for at least another two years. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you more about my plans going down the road, including I do intend to relaunch the Patreon account. I just, I kind of want to just get get our feet underneath us and not really try to make it seem like we're taking advantage of a situation. You know what I mean? Like it could, that could look bad. So I'm going to use this time for us to get the LLC set up, get everything on the back end set up, and then we'll start talking about the Patreon. When it's really like when we're in the phase where everything's in place to become sustainable. So today we continue cracking on COVID and some significant stuff in the economy section for the show today. So hopefully it'll be information dense and a lot of value for you. Immediate next steps, maybe starting next week, I'm not sure. I'd like to start live streaming again. Get some real-time corrections and feedback into the show. That always makes the show better. Also, I plan to stand up a Discord server for ongoing conversations to take place in its own space. Because again, this isn't a JB show. It's not a network show. This is just me and you. It's just just me pulling the show up by its bootstraps. Angela's helping me get some of the back-end things coordinated. It's really just an independent effort we're doing in our spare time right now moving towards something more sustainable in the future. So let's start with our COVID updates. I'll give you more information about live streams and Discord servers as that gets closer. I'm, I'm still working on setting all this stuff up. You know, <laughs> if I could do this from the JB studio and have all the buttons and the live stream and the OBS machine, I could just hit a button and we'd be live. But I'm rebuilding it all. So I just want to do it right and take my time. But uh, I'll keep you posted. Let's start with COVID now. 
Good evening, and it's great to have you with us here on a Tuesday night. And this is yet another heavy night of news. President Trump with conflicting messaging today on the coronavirus. After the White House pushed social distancing to halt the spread of this to give doctors, nurses and healthcare workers a fighting chance against this. Today, the president signaled he wants the country open by Easter. We're going to talk a little bit more about this mixed message we're getting from the president. It left medical experts, members of his own, to answer questions about whether they would offer that same guidance. As health experts say, we are not even close to seeing the worst of this yet. Tonight, the number of cases in America now more than 53,000, nearly 10 times more than just a week ago. More than 670 are now dead. At least 22 states imposing stay-at-home restrictions, four more states in just the past 24 hours. My state was one of them. Uh, surprisingly, Washington took a little bit to get there. Now, I told you on Monday this is going to happen. In fact, I told you on Sunday this was going to happen. We we all knew this. This is the way math works for this kind of thing. They're not really saying that. They're just quoting you the numbers and letting you draw your own conclusions about the fact that this thing doubles and that it's a, it's an exponentially increasing infection rate. Like That's for, uh, left on the listener to derive on their own. This map, though, is pretty significant. It's, it's damn near the entire east and west coast. Not the entire east coast, but it is the entire west coast. It is now shut down. Empty streets from Boston to Detroit to Dallas tonight to California's Pacific Coast Highway. The most cases nationwide now in New York State, the number doubling every three days, the vast majority of those cases in New York City. And these are the lines today outside Elmhurst Hospital in Queens. At first, 400 ventilators from the federal government arriving in New York at the city's emergency management warehouse. New York's governor asking the feds, the White House, do you want a pat on the back? We need 30,000 pointing to the nation's stockpile, begging the federal government for more help. The governor saying what happens here will happen across the country. And the images tonight that caused alarm, service now reduced in New York City and in so many other cities. And look at this, the crowded subway car. This is in New York City at 530 this morning. Yeah, it's standing room only. Surprise, surprise. But let's start um, with um, Cuomo. I actually think uh, Governor Cuomo has been doing really good um, press conferences. He's been hitting a few more emotional notes referencing his mom and his dad in the last couple of days. But they're doing something I think is pretty intelligent. They're setting up a surge healthcare force. You have beds, you have equipment, you need staff. And you need staff understanding that some staff is going to get sick and they're going to be out. So we have been working on putting together a surge health care force. I reason I think it's worth us taking a moment to internalize this information is it is likely, I suppose, that what happened here in Seattle, which then happened in New York, will happen in other cities, right? They'll be they'll their infection rate. It'll spread through the city and they'll have to implement similar similar measures. Go back to the retirees, go back to nurses and doctors who may not be in the hospital, uh, direct medical care uh, occupation and ask them to sign up for possible reserve duty. God bless them. Forty thousand people have signed up as a surge healthcare force. That's remarkable, especially if um, a lot of them are retired, which means they could be in the danger zone. 2,000 physicians, anesthesiologists, emergency room technicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, nurse anesthetists, respiratory RNs, LPNs, 40,000 people have signed up. That is- That's great, isn't that? 
it really it really makes you feel like wow people really step up people really do step up uh in these moments so in this overall message you have what's coming down the pipe you have the trump message pivot as the media is putting it and of course you still have the standard issues like the supplies and the tests let's now focus in on the trump pivot that everyone is so upset about i'd love to have it open by easter okay i would love to have it open by easter i will i will tell you that right now this is trump on fox and friends doing a remote interview from the white house rose garden from the white house rose garden i think it's called um at least it's outside to remote Fox and Friends host. Everybody's remote. Easter. Okay, I would oh, love wow. to have it open okay. by Easter. I will, I will tell you that right now. I would love to have that. It's such an important day for other reasons, but I'll make it an important day for this too. I would love to have the country opened up and uh, just raring to go by Easter. And then in a later interview in person with uh, your buddy Bill Hemmer uh, from Fox Reports, he sort of says something similar. Our town hall today, you threw out a date where you think America can be working again. And that's Easter Sunday. That's 19 days from now. How did you come up with so, that day? Well, it's 19 days, but add another seven because we've been doing this now for seven. So that's from the time we heard about it. Seven and nine. From the time yeah. we, yes, so from the time we, we close it up. So you could add seven to nine. Uh, look, Easter's a very special day for me. And I see it's sort of in that timeline that I'm thinking about. And I say, wouldn't it be great to have all of the churches full? All of the churches full. Uh, it's this optimistic date. Now, the press hates this. And it seems that medical experts think it's beyond optimistic. So science would seem to hate this as well. But nobody seems to hate it as much as Morning Joe. On everything we're doing. I just thought it was a beautiful time to be a beautiful time, a beautiful timeline. It's a great day. Since, since, as the president said, you and Dr. Birx and others will be guiding him and making the decision, where are you now with this timeline 19 days from now? So that's really very flexible. We we just had a conversation with the president in, in the Oval Office talking about, you know, you can look at a date, but you've got to be very flexible and on a, on a literally day-by-day and week-by-week basis. Wow. Uh, the president talks about Easter being a beautiful time. Yes, it's, it is a beautiful time, uh, but it has absolutely nothing to do with this pandemic. Um, and it's not going to have anything to do with this pandemic as we see the surge of cases. We've been showing you charts all morning, and they're, it's data. It's data that predicts where these lines are going based on what's happened across the country. But he talks about a beautiful time, just like he talked about beautiful tests. Remember the president saying that if you wanted a test, you could get a test. That was weeks ago. There's we desperately need tests. Yeah, you got to be Harvey Weinstein to get a test. Everybody knows that. (laughs) Here's what I think goes on with Trump. And uh, it's tricky. And I think it drives the press nuts. I suspect Trump picks and chooses from his advisors and whichever advisor is advising Trump on what he wants to hear. Well, then he follows that advisor's, um, I guess, advice. So if an advisor is telling him, Mr. Trump, this is no big deal. This is just the left. They're just trying to get, um, they're just trying to derail your chances for a reelection. They're just trying to get ahead for Biden. This is uh, this is a big scam. If that's what he wants to believe, that's the advisor he listens to. 
And then when things are obviously getting worse and a couple advisors come to him and they say, Mr. Trump, this is getting very serious. We need to take immediate action. We need to form a task group. We need to get some economic policies in place. He starts doing that. And then more advisors after a while start chirping up and say, you know, Mr. President, these dramatic actions we've taken are damaging the economy and we need to start pumping the brakes on this and start getting the doors back open for America. And now he's going that direction. And I suspect it is this tug of war um, and Trump not being a necessarily strong man of any particular convictions from which I can derive by watching him, especially in the political spheres. I think it's pretty easy for him to get tug around like that. And in some cases, it seems to be uh, it seems to create a, an immediate reaction. You know, he pivoted immediately from the, it's no big deal. It's a left scam to let's take this very seriously I don't necessarily think this pivot to we need to open the doors by Easter, all that kind of stuff. I don't think this is as dramatic. It kind of seems like it's the original original Trump when all of this started, just sort of emerging now that the what he sees as the immediate crisis is over. I wish I could say I agreed with that aspect of his analysis. From the different feeds I'm looking at, it seems like we're going to be rolling with this thing for a while. Like it's not just going to stop with New York. This epidemic is going to need to run its course at this point. I mean, New York is is having epidemic levels of spread. That's going to continue for some weeks before we see the peak in this. That peak is likely to happen sometime in April, uh, mid-April to late April, probably more likely late April or early May. And remember, this right now is epidemic in New York City. We likely have other large cities that are similarly seated that are a couple of weeks behind New York. So we're going to see other cities probably have the same level of spread or something close to it as New York. Hopefully not as bad because they implemented some mitigation steps earlier. But certain cities like New Orleans were late to this and seem to have spread right now. And so you have to be very worried that they're going to also have large outbreaks. Dr. Gottlieb, Dr. Burks tonight in that news conference said 28 percent of tests in New York City are positive versus 8 percent elsewhere. It's to the point you're making about the hot spot that New York City is. When is an appropriate time to go back to work? How many weeks are we talking about? Yeah, well, we're going to have to see this epidemic peak and in those cases come down. And so it's maybe another six to seven weeks till it peak and in six or seven weeks until it comes down. I think it's going to be very hard to fully take our foot off the brake until you start to see some significant declines um, in the number of new cases on a daily basis. And probably means May. Sorry, Mr. Trump, it's not going to be Easter. It's probably going to be May. Ah, uh, I already feel sad about my beloved Linux Fest Northwest. Let's talk about Tucker Carlson just for a second here. You guys know I, you know, I'll refer to him from time to time as Tucker Tuckerson. I don't know what to make of this man. Obviously, I remember his days in his battles with John Stewart. Uh, he's had other shows besides that. He's launched other publications. He seemed to have had a shift over the last seven to eight years. And now seems to have this voice of the anti-establishment. And I, I still, something deep down in me cannot trust him. But I also can't deny that I'm shocked to hear these words spoken on Fox News. I, 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 why haven't they shut him down yet, some of the things he says? He's essentially attacking the establishment constantly. And I feel like he panders a little bit to the audience, but... That just means he says more things that the audience wants to hear that often go counter to the narrative. He's done pieces that attack pharmaceuticals. He's 
done he's also done pieces that make ridiculous claims about cannabis. So he's not he's not a a one or a zero. He's he's a gray area. But he does make a good point about things that may change after the pandemic clears. But first, the news of the day was, for the most part, unfortunately, political. Our hapless media churned out the usual dreary menu of palace intrigue stories. Who in the West Wing supports a shutdown? Who doesn't? As if any of that matters or anyone cares or will even remember the names of these people 10 years from now. We will not, because in the scheme of things, this is irrelevant. What matters is protecting the country. Suddenly, every politician in America is claiming a monopoly on the best course forward. We must do this. When they say that, it ought to make you nervous. They can't all be right. Most of them can be self-righteous, though, and they are. Here's New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who most of the time has been credible on this subject, but today explaining that if you don't support precisely the kind of quarantine he supports, you're trying to kill his mother. My mother is not expendable. And your mother is not expendable. And our brothers and sisters are not expendable. Like I said, he hit some of the emotional points, although at the same time, he's trying to get people to realize the seriousness of the nature of the nature of this virus. Maybe that's a good thing. Uh, I don't like it. It 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 raises red flags with me. The other thing that I didn't like about that particular press conference, because I have been very positive, but the one thing I didn't like about that particular press conference is he's sitting in front of what appears to be boxes and boxes and walls of boxes of masks and tests. What the hell are they doing as a prop? <laughs> Get them out in the field. We may need some faith healers. <laughs> but Tucker does have a basic question he thinks we should be asking right now. And it's one that has been in the back of my mind constantly during the entire coronavirus story. And so of our health establishment, we still don't have enough tests to do that. This means we have no real idea how many Americans have been infected so far. There's no baseline for our measurements of anything across a population of 320 million people. We can't know exactly how easily coronavirus spreads. We don't know the physical effects on the average infected person. We don't know the death rate. Flatten the curve? We're not sure what the curve really is. And that's not our opinion, by the way. It's elementary science. This is one of the things that I've wondered a lot. There's been some increase in stories about young people dying. Uh, a 19-year-old man and a 20-year-old woman recently died and... There's no details about their overall health. Did they have any disease? Did they have some other condition? Were they perfectly healthy? And there's no real information there. I assume maybe it's just because in all of the chaos, they can't derive that and perhaps autopsies will be done or something to that degree. But without real data, we don't know if we should be seriously concerned. If somebody in their 40s gets infected, are they just likely to have a cold like so many people who tweet that they are sick say they have? Or could it lead to some sort of lung failure if you have no other issues or if you smoke? What, what's the threshold here? We don't know that. We, we'd have so, there's so many things we don't know. We just know the numbers of the amount, the amount of people that get infected. That's what we know. The amount of people infected, the amount of people that die, and the amount of people that recover. That's the three numbers we know right now. And it just feels like in 2020 there should be such, there should be such richer resolution to the data we should really be able to zoom in and get all the individual health characteristics of those who died and understand and appreciate that if you have these three underlying conditions, you are a super risk. And if you don't, you are a mild risk. And maybe you don't even need to get tested. You just have to self-isolate. We don't have this information. And when we talk about tests, it just drives me nuts that we seem to have tests for certain people and not tests for other people. 
So it, maybe it seems a little cold to talk about the economy in light of this information. But I think that's the longer-term story here. If if the data is right and this peaks and starts to subside for most cities in May, what's going to be left? Now, last episode, we talked about the failure to pass a stimulus bill. We weren't sure how much it was going to be and what would be in it. Well, now we have a bill. It's passed. We know how much it is, and we're starting to learn what's in it. Madam President, I have an update for the information of all senators and for the information of the American people, and it's good news. It's good news for the doctors and nurses in emergency rooms around the country who are waiting for more masks and more funding. It's good news for families all across America. At last, we have a deal. Here comes the money. After days of intense discussions, the Senate has reached a bipartisan agreement on a historic relief package for this pandemic. Now, the stimulus package is only any good under two circumstances. Number one, it makes it to Trump's desk, which at the time of this recording is not guaranteed. We're seeing some late-day snags in support for the stimulus bill. Last hour, we told you about three Republican senators who are uh, pushing for some language changes in the bill because some workers would stand to earn more through these unemployment uh, funds than they would in their uh, median incomes in their current jobs. And now Senator Bernie Sanders has tweeted, unless Republican senators drop their objections to the coronavirus legislation, I am prepared to put a hold on this bill until stronger conditions are imposed on the $500 billion of what he is calling a corporate welfare fund. That is the money that is uh, earmarked to go to uh, aircraft carriers or air carriers, uh, to national security uh, companies, and to these $550, $450 billion of eligible miscellaneous businesses that will receive this money. So he's pushing for more restrictions on that uh, to pass. You- now, hold on there. She mischaracterizes that a little bit. So here's how it went. Everything was hunky-dory, you see. Everything was hunky-dory until Senator Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott and Ben Sauce said, hey, hey, oh, and Rick Scott from Florida was in there too. Hey, there's there's a huge flaw in the $2 trillion relief deal. There's a huge flaw. Also, reminding you, this is only phase three. There's supposed to be a phase four bill in another month or so. Here's the issue for the phase three bill. The Republican senators thought that because the unemployment benefits would be larger than what the low-wage workers would usually make, it would incentivize them to get laid off and then not return to the workforce. So they had an amendment they wanted to introduce that would limit the unemployment benefits to 100% of the workers' salary. So that's where they stood. The other side is where Bernie Sanders is standing. He released a statement saying that unless the senators drop their anti-worker objections – He is prepared to block legislation in order to impose strong conditions on the way that extra little $500 slush, $500 billion slush fund or what he calls a welfare fund is used. And it's it's like a ton of money to Boeing. I have links in the show notes. Sanders writes, I'm prepared to put on hold this bill to make sure any corporation receiving financial assistance under the legislation does not lay off workers, cut wages or benefits, ship jobs overseas or pay workers poverty wages. Senators told Sanders told the New York Times that he will vote for this bill as written, but only if the Republicans drop their demands. So the stock market lost a bunch of its steam when this little dispute came up, obviously. Uh, but let's look at what's what's the other 
aspect of this bill. Because I said there's two things for this stimulus bill to be successful. It has to get to Trump's desk, number one. But number two, you got to get money into a consumer market that's willing to spend it. And this is a point I've been very consistent with on these recent episodes. Cutting a check to Americans can work. It can help jumpstart the economy. But there has to be an economy for them to spend that money in. There has to be stores that are open. There has to be a place to go. People have to feel safe. But, and this is the enormous but, there are some things this stimulus package simply cannot do. It won't create demand in a time when so many consumers are fearful. And it will not defeat the coronavirus. At the end of the day, this is still a public health emergency. We can mitigate the financial damage here. And that's the whole point of this bill. But the economy won't come back until we beat the, epi- the pandemic. And that's what they did in China. It's what we need to do here. We still got a long way to go, though, which is why I remain somewhat skeptical of this rally, as you should, you should too, given to see how easily it was knocked down going into the bell. See, that's not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's look at this bill. What's in this bill? There's some some good stuff. There's some good stuff, like there's um, some buyback prevention and stuff like that, and there's some bad stuff. And all of this is coming out today when we are expected to get unemployment numbers within the next couple of days. And I think you have to have that context to appreciate everything that's going down right now. And I think that might have some bearing on the president's current political pivot. And not a shock, unemployment claims are now surging as thousands of Texans find themselves without work. And this clip here I got, uh, I could literally have gotten from every state, from North Dakota to Washington to Texas, everywhere I looked in local news, they're reporting a slammed unemployment office. See, I think I think Trump knows that this economy is screwed, and that's why all of a sudden he sort of pivoted a little bit. And uh, he started saying, well, you know, maybe we can get this thing open by... Uh, Maybe we can get this open by Easter, huh? Yeah, yeah. Everybody up for that? Everybody up for that? But let's look what let's look what else is going on with this bill. Besides the fact that they're trying to save the huge unemployment situation that's impending, there's also certain limits they've put in here. Now, this is the positive aspects. There's some negative aspects they've snuck in here, but here's some of the good stuff. Well, Scott, there was a copy of the legislative text that was circulated among lawmakers before a call with the Treasury Secretary this morning, uh, which I was able to obtain, and I've been combing through it uh, for the last couple of hours. And in it, there are some notable restrictions on what companies who receive these government loans can do with their cash flow. Notably, there are restrictions on both buybacks and dividends. For a company that takes out a government loan, they cannot buy back their stock for 12 months after the loan is repaid. And while that loan is outstanding, the company cannot issue a dividend on common stock. There are also, Scott, some restrictions on compensation for companies uh, whose uh, executive officers at these companies who take this government aid. Uh, It's fairly complicated legal language. I want to make sure that we understand the specifics of that exactly. But for those wondering whether there will be restrictions on bonuses or exec comp. It does look like, like that's in there as well. Something else that's in there that's rather interesting is that it appears, and Schumer's taking a lot of credit for this, that they worked out a deal so that way, like Trump hotels and other members of Congress and the administration don't get bailout money. Seems pretty good. We got to get this thing passed, though. I believe that we can count on something being done either this evening or the first thing in the morning. The deal is all cut. There happen to be a few senators that are 
uh, sort of uh, exercising. Uh, this is Tom Douche. I mean, Tom Donahue, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce CEO. Be a few senators that are uh, sort of uh, exercising uh, some of their uh, ability to have a different view, but it's going to get passed. And we're asking the House of Representatives uh, not to bother to come back. They don't have to. <clears throat> There's a way to just have them uh, approve it tomorrow. We need to do that because we need to take all of these resources we've assembled under this very good bill and begin immediately to distribute them around this country so that no company goes bankrupt, no citizen goes bankrupt, no family goes bankrupt. We have things in this bill to avoid it. Let's do it. Ooh, Ooh. all right. All right. Now, the lead-up to this bill had a bunch of drafts. You know how this process works. There's drafts of bills, and, and some get circulated, some don't. Some of them did get circulated, and I have some great links in the show notes for this, too. I do not believe this made it in the final version of the bill as it stands right now, at least the Senate version. But an earlier draft, several earlier drafts, had something in there called the digital dollar. The thing that I've found when I go to read about this stimulus package is there's a common theme that I'm finding in here. No matter who's introducing it or what bill that I'm seeing to look at, they're all talking about a digital dollar. So they want a digital dollar in the system. The banking system has reached zero. The Federal Reserve has hit the lower bound, and they need digital dollars in the system. The Fed is talking about it. The IMF is talking about it. And now this new stimulus plan is definitely going to introduce, at least from what I can see, they are going to introduce a digital dollar into the system. Now, I'll leave the rest for you to leave or read. Um, I will give you a brief, though. This is a post on the IMF blog, the, Inter the International Monetary Fund blog with a post title, Cashing In, How to Make Negative Interest Rates Work. And the post centers around the concept that um, nation states are left with limited options after the previous global financial crash of, 20, of 2008 because they lowered their interest rates then to help stimulate their economy, and they never really raised them. They've been low for a decade. And the IMF writes, if another crisis were to happen, few countries have any room for a monetary policy to respond. To get around this problem, a recent IMF staff study shows how central banks can set up a system that would make deeply negative interest rates a feasible option. In the section labeled, How Low Can You Go?, they write, In a cashless world, there would be no lower bound on interest rates. A central bank could reduce the policy rate from, say, 2%, to minus 4% to counter a severe recession. But there is this one uh, issue they write about here on the blog. It's really annoying. It's this damn thing called cash. See, the damn cash, when it's available, however, cutting rates into significantly negative territory becomes impossible, they write. Cash has the same purchasing power as bank deposits, but at zero nominal interest, they say. This is all linked in the show notes. They write, moreover, it can be obtained in unlimited quantities and exchanged for bank money. Therefore, instead of paying negative interest, one can simply hold cash at zero interest. Cash is a free option on zero interest and acts as an interest rate floor. See, because of this floor, the banks have limits in how they can respond. So the proposal is to create a cash 
economy and an e-money economy. And you'd have local versions everywhere. It wouldn't be a worldwide currency. The U.S. would have cash and they'd have e-money or the digital dollar. Now, this post is in February 5th of 2019. So this isn't happening right now. This was about a year ago. But they continued to write, the way this would work is e-money would be issued only electronically and would pay the policy rate of interest, which could be a negative interest rate or it could be a positive. And cash would have an exchange rate, the conversion rate against e-money. This conversion rate is key to the proposal. When setting up a negative interest rate on e-money, the central bank would let the conversion rate of cash in terms of e-money depreciate at the same rate as a negative interest rate on the e-money. In other words, guys, the value of cash would fall in terms of the value of e-money. And at the same time, they write, shops would start advertising prices in e-money. See, the idea is you roll it out, you tell shops, you start advertising electronic payments, Cash would start losing value both in terms of goods and in terms of e-money. And then, therefore, they write, quote, there would be no benefit to holding cash relative to bank deposits. Now, you think I'm crazy. This is something that Robert Hockett wrote about on Forbes. There's a link in the show notes. He writes on March 23rd, yes, March 23rd of this year, House Democrats did something I and many others have been advocating for some time. And I have a clip for you in a moment. Draft plans to legislate into existence a digital dollar along with a system of digital wallets. Now, I went and I got that hearing. Uh, So it is um, available in the show notes. I will link to it so you don't have to dig around for it. But it was a – here, I'm looking for to see if I can get you the name of it. It was a finance committee bill. Ah, yes. The Here we go. The thing that I found. What- Here we go. That was the last clip. Here it is. Here it is. This just happened last month. I had it I had it in last month's folder. This happened last month uh, where there was an oversight hearing. This issue. Um, now, in a speech last week, Governor. This is Representative Foster at the February 11th, 2020 Financial Services Committee hearing. And he's asking questions to the Fed chairman. And the questions are all around a digital dollar. So this is the context in which these questions are happening. And the representative asked the following question. If you look at the, the curve of a, adoption of payment by cell phone, you know, it starts slowly and then all of a sudden it just happens. And so that seems like that, can, that transition can happen in a period of, of just a couple of years. And so we have to be able to respond. You know, if that's the driving factor, then we have to be in a position where we can respond by you know, rolling out, for example, a digital dollar in, on the couple of year time scale. And so, so I, I just I, yeah. I completely agree with. You. So before I let the chairman jump in here, um, the other questions that had been asked before this and then they get back to is what is the threat of China doing this? China, because they have a captured market, could convert to a digital currency essentially overnight. Obviously, that's not realistic, but that's how they talk about it. And they make comparisons. This is fascinating to Libra. The Facebook currency. And I think, frankly, Libra really lit a fire under that and, and it was a bit of a wake-up call that, that this is coming fast and could come in a way that is, uh, you know, that is quite widespread and systemically important uh, fairly quickly in, in, if you use one of these um, uh, big tech networks like, like, uh, like Libra did. So we're, we're working hard on it. We fully appreciate the importance of, uh, of making quick progress. We have not decided to do this, though. This is the chairman again. It, it, it is not. I think that, that there are many questions that need to be answered around a digital currency for the United States, including issues of cyber 
cyber issues, privacy issues, um, many, many operational alternatives present themselves. And so we're going to be working through all of that and, and doing that work thoroughly and responsibly. Now, what I discovered in reading is that this did not make it in the final stimulus bill. But there's essentially two tracks of thought. One of them is get this into the market as fast as possible. The Fed's struggling. The economy's struggling. This e-money thing could be our solution. Think about how much money we could print when it's electronic. And then there's another school of thought that is a slower, more methodic approach. I think one's led by the Treasury and one is being led by the uh, Federal Reserve. I'm not sure, though, because it's all this all just I just discovered all of this today. So this is an area I'd love to know more about. If you have any information or any clips specifically, unfilter.show slash contact the digital dollar. Um, don't know how I feel. Actually, I know how I feel. I don't like it. <laughs> I like cash sometimes. I like both. I like paying with my phone for some things, especially convenience store items and gasoline. And I like paying for cash for other items. And that sometimes is individual transactions, buying used goods at a garage sale. There's great, there's great uses for both. And I'd hate to see cash go away. I find it extremely useful. I bet all the drug traders are saying the same thing, you know, like the CIA. Oh, speaking of money, though, there are some stocks that are doing better with the stimulus news. Before we go, I want to draw your attention to shares of the airlines. All of them are soaring right now. The new stimulus bill from the Senate will provide $25 billion of direct financial aid, $4 billion for air cargo carriers. These are industries which have taken a big hit by coronavirus. JetBlue, Spirit, you can see up 28% today. Ooh, almost 30% recovery today. Not bad for one day. And of course, it appears Joe Biden and his team are listening to your unfilter show because Joe Biden has been discovered. That's right. Breaking news. We've located Joe Biden. He's come out and he is hitting back at Trump and turning the crisis into an election campaign opportunity. Crisis comes to every presidency. We don't blame them for that. What matters is how they handle it. Donald Trump didn't create the coronavirus. But he is the one who called hoax, who eliminated the pandemic response team, and who let the virus spread unchecked across America. Crisis comes to every president. This one failed. Unite the country is responsible for the content of this advertising. Yeah, never waste a political opportunity. And Biden's team has had to transition to a virtual campaign. And it's been rough. It's been rather rough. It makes a lot of remote news interviews awkward. Why doesn't he just act like a president? The MSNBC anchor had asked him, what do you think of Trump's communication style around the coronavirus? Why doesn't he just act like a president? That's a stupid way to say it. You know, Donald Trump was asked us. Oh, that's awkward. Oh, that's awkward. It's almost like Joe is second guessing himself, like his team had a talk and said, you got to stop gaffing. You got to watch what you say. And now he's self-conscious, but he's verbalizing it. That's a stupid way to say it. You know, Donald Trump was asked. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, probably best I don't. (sighs) The looks on their faces, too. Oh, it's very awkward. It's almost like he knows, too, right? It's No, no, I probably best I don't. And there was another moment in this interview that was extremely awkward. 
I just I just can't figure the guy. It's like it's, I don't know. It's like watching a yo-yo. I shouldn't have said it that way. It's like watching. It feels that way. I want to ask. I want. <laughs> like it's so cringy. You can hear her nervous laughter. You can hear Joe's questioning every word he's saying. Like there must be this background process. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. But with the way Joe works, it's just from brain to mouth. I said it that way. It's like watching. It feels that way. I want to ask. I want. <laughs> Yeah, so the whole virtual thing is a little challenging for the uh, presidential contender. And um, he's made some improvements over the last couple of days. Things have gotten a little better. they got a system now to take interview questions in his virtual town halls where he sits in his rec room and takes Zoom questions from reporters. And a CNN reporter popped on and asked him a direct question that the campaign has been avoiding for a week. And that is, are you willing to debate Sanders? Because it seems Sanders' unofficial strategy here is to hang in until he can debate uh, Biden in front of people. I think his, I think I mean I'm I'm not sure. I haven't had a conversation with Bernie, but I suspect his strategy is let us get in front of the American people and debate the issues, and then they can pick who they think the stronger candidate is. And secondly, Bernie Sanders' uh, campaign has said that he would debate if there was a debate in April. Do you think there should be another debate in April? And would you participate? My focus is just dealing with this crisis right now. I haven't thought. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, I bet he's been coached that too. Yeah, just focus on, just tell him you're focusing on the crisis right now. You know, these Zoom calls that you're doing from your room. And Joe's real busy, guys. You know, Joe's upstairs in the morning getting ready. He's got to have breakfast and he's got to read the newspaper. You got to wait for the newspaper. And uh, then he comes, that's like a two hour morning routine. And then he's got to sit here for an hour. And then it's just about noon. It's time for a nap. He doesn't have time to debate. In April, and would you participate? My focus is just dealing with this crisis right now. I haven't thought about any more debates. I think we've had enough debates. I think we should get on. with. Wait a minute. You just says he hasn't thought about the debates. And then he says, I think we've had enough debates. I think you've been thinking about it, Joe. Oh, I haven't thought about any more debates. I think we've had enough debates. I think we should get on with this. But uh, um, with regard to speaking to foreign leaders. <laughs> I, bet he, I bet he thinks that. He started his uh, stream this morning with a point that has crossed my mind recently. It's awkward. What I'm about to play for you was the literal start of his stream. It just starts and he's already talking. And a message to all the young people out there all across this nation who today are worried and unsure about what's happening in their lives. And, and to those who are confused and frustrated by the disruption of the coronavirus pandemic that is causing in all our lives, particularly theirs, young Americans. A generation has uh, has had a, a rough run of it lately. The millennials, many of whom now are in the prime of their careers, came of age at a time defined by 9-11, marked by wars. Don't forget the dot-com boom and crash. And then they had some of the hardest uh, long-standing economic impacts. Uh, From 2008. And then they had some of the hardest uh, long-standing economic impacts uh of the 200 of the 2008 crisis and the financial collapse. And now, like all of us, they're starting down, down a road that is actually staring down a barrel of another major economic crisis. This is probably one of the few times where Biden has been um, pandering, where I felt like he was actually hitting the mark for me. This has been something that's been on my mind recently. Is this really a rough hand? Uh, the dot-com bust, 
totally collapsed uh, my career trajectory where I just ended up staying at a place, which was good, but also meant that I didn't climb in the pay scale as fast as I wanted to. The 2008 crash was crazy. I almost didn't get my home and I was attempting to launch a small business that year. It was a wreck. And this year has been absolutely topsy-turvy. And I could, I, I just, I can imagine, I have a, I guess what I should say is, I was going to say I can imagine these systems failing me, but a better way to put it would be I can't really picture the support systems that are in place for our elderly population today really being in place for me when I'm of that age. It just doesn't seem very likely. <clears throat> Thankfully, we got cannabis, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, at least maybe unless they don't deem it essential. But the argument's being made that cannabis is essential during a lockdown. Well, markets go lower, pot stocks go higher. Jane Wells is going to break that down for us. Jane, what is this, a case of escapism? Oh, really? Really? You say from your fancy house with your nice furniture, doing your remote fancy job? That is that is outrageous, Escape, escapism. First of all, there are people where it fundamentally changes their quality of life based on medical issues. So it's extremely offensive from that standpoint. But it's also just really kind of low class when the CNBC network makes most of their off-air time on money selling ads around cannabis programming, about featuring cannabis farms and featuring cannabis businesses. That's where they make their extra money. And here she is taking a shot. And of course... She's tossing it to another gal who's older than she is, who is extremely well put together, sitting in a yard of her home, because they're all working from home, where she has not one, not two, but three separate swimming pools behind her. And instead of her correcting her young co-worker on a very offensive statement, she doubles down on a typical crap media joke. Uh, yeah. Morgan, uh, cannabis has gone from worst to first uh, after a terrible <laughs> from worst to first 2019. Uh, sales are sky high. Oh, another pun, sky high. You see how clever they are. I mean, it just really gets me worked up. It just really does because it's it's now years into this where it's clearly an established business that has high value recreation, but also has high value medical aspects of it, and they're still taking these shots. Like it's 1997. I, I, it just, it floors me. Uh, after a terrible 2019, uh, sales are sky high uh, as people are forced to shut down. They're stressing out and they're stocking up. Now, publicly traded shares of companies like Tilray and Canopy Growth after a horrible year are up significantly over the last week. It's states like California and New York are deeming cannabis essential, especially for medical patients. Here's a couple of stats. Revenue has increased from 52 to 130 percent at 1,300 dispensaries, which use e-commerce platform Jane Technologies. Wholesaler LeafLink says Monday orders were up 48 percent from a week ago, and a week ago is already high. Harborside is one of the largest chains in California with 60 million in annual sales. It's now pivoting to curbside delivery, and co-founder Stephen D'Angelo is amazed that some places are not deeming cannabis essential during this pandemic. And most of all, if we don't allow people access to cannabis, which is relatively safe, they're quite likely going to start self-medicating with more dangerous substances like alcohol or tranquilizers or opioids. So um, I think it's clear that 
that cannabis really is an essential business and and I'm I'm pretty shocked that that there's that there's governors and mayors of legal cannabis jurisdictions that still believe otherwise. Yeah, he makes a great point there. It's human nature. They'll just find what they can to relieve their stress, especially when things are extremely scary. And the traditional media is telling you to freak out. But not here. Your Unfilter show takes a level-headed, centrist view at everything it can. And you can be part of that. I'd love to help get you involved in the clip collection process. But even more than that, in the soundboard clip, you know, small little little bites that we could do to modernize and refresh the soundboard Give it, a, give it a new set of voices. I'd love your help. And one of the ways I think we'll do that is through our Discord community, which I'll hopefully have details in the next few days or a few episodes. Maybe we'll put a channel in there, you know, a, a dedicated chat for clips and a dedicated chat for soundboard stuff. And then we can start adding new things and build some of that up. I'd love to do that. I think that'd be a, it'd be a, fun, a fun, fresh take. Easy for me to say. That's everything I've got for you today. Lots of links unfilter.show slash 295 check those suckers out and don't forget I'm doing as frequent episodes as I can multiple episodes a week so get every new episode at unfilter.show slash subscribe the Patreon news will be coming soon but in the meantime there is a way you can support me rate the show on iTunes send a link to somebody who wants to know what's going on help spread the word about the Unfilter show word of mouth is the number one way you can help right now and I really appreciate it Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Unfiltered Program, and I'll see you right back here, gosh darn soon! Mommy needs a joy. I do wine because I want to win. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. You sound like you're on heroin or something. What?